Well, good morning, Union Chapel. How are we doing today? Hey, happy Thanksgiving to you from the Hughes family. So great to have you guys uh, here with us, whether if you're tuning in online, if you're traveling, uh, maybe getting back home so you can head back into to work this week, or if you're in the room, want to just welcome you. Um, if we haven't had a chance to meet, my name is Jeff Hughes. I serve as the Connections Pastor here, and I love my job. It's an opportunity to help you take next steps with God. Uh, wherever you are in the know, grow, and go uh, continuum, if you will, of the Union Chapel mission, our Connections team is here to help walk alongside you, to encourage you, to spur you on, uh, to know Jesus, to grow in your relationship with him, and to go out on mission uh, for Jesus in our city and the world. So if you have questions about that, please, please reach out to us at the Welcome Center or through the office. So thanks so much for joining us today. In the spirit of thanksgiving, let me just say this. I'm thankful for the church. I'm thankful for the church. I'm thankful for Union Chapel. I'm thankful for many, many of you, your faces and your names kind of scrolled across my screen uh, this week, just thinking about who I'm thankful for and the gratitude that I have for our community. And I just uh, love Union Chapel and, and love it because of you. Greater than that, I'm thankful for the, the big C, capital C church, the church that we see established from the early church in the book of Acts and how that's living out every single day until Jesus returns. And so today what we're going to do is we're going to look at a twofold mission of the church in Acts and how that is also the twofold mission of Union Chapel and really all of our congregations across the world. We're going to look at the book of Acts. We're going to start in chapter 2. We'll also look in chapter 4. So if you have your Bible or mobile device, I encourage you to get there. I'm going to ask you to stand to honor the reading of God's word together. We'll look at Acts chapter 2, 42 to 44, and then we'll skip over to chapter 4. They were devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and the breaking of bread and to prayers. Reverential awe, not just awe, reverential awe came on everyone. And many wonders and miraculous signs came about the apostles. All who believed were together and held everything in common. And they began to sell their property and possessions and distributing proceeds to everyone as they had need. Every day, they continued to gather together by common consent in the temple courts, breaking bread from house to house, sharing their food with glad and humble hearts, praising God and having the goodwill of all the people. And the Lord was adding to their number every day those who were being saved. Phenomenal. If you'll flip over to chapter 4. I want to look at verses 32 to 35. The group of those who believed were of one heart and mind, and no one said anything that belonged to him was his own, but everything was held in common. Verse 33, with great power, the apostles were given testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was on them all. For there was no one needy among them, because those who were owners of land or houses were selling them and bringing the proceed from the sales. And placing them at the apostles' feet, the proceeds were distributed to each as anyone had need. Now look up here for just a moment. Church, it is essential that we recognize and realize the, the twofold mission of the church in the book of Acts and how that applies to us today. Both the gathering and the scattering of the church is what we're going to look at today. 
Before you sit down, I want you to look, look at somebody in the eye. I want you to say, we gather and we scatter, and then grab a seat. I read a story of a little girl who was asked to describe the parts of a human body. Now, how many of you know that's dangerous, right? She said a body has three parts, the brainium, the chester, and the abdominal cavity. She said the brainium holds the brain, the chester holds the heart, and the abdominal cavity holds the bowels. Of which there are five, A, E, I, O, and U. (laughs) She was confused, wasn't she? I find that there are many of us who are confused about the mission and the purpose of the church. So what was the gathering and the scattering of the church in the book of Acts? And what does that mean to us in Muncie, Indiana, right here at Union Chapel today? There are two defining statements that we see in these verses that we just read. And the first two points I want to give you come from those. And then we'll look at Acts chapter 8 in just a moment. You see, these two defining statements, they ought to describe us. When we think about our community with one another, when we think about this place, the church that gathers will focus on two things. And here's the first, community and care for one another. We're a big church but we're big on community and support and care for one another. In Acts 2.44, we see all who believed were together and held everything in common. This verse illustrates the, the commonality, the community together. They held everything in common. In Acts 4.32, it says it this way, the group of those who believed were of one heart and mind. They loved what was happening in their gathering so much that they sacrificed personal property for the good of the whole group. They were enjoying life together. Now, there were some exceptions in Acts chapter 4 and Acts chapter 5, where we see a couple elements of fighting. But one of the first descriptions of the church is that they are gathered in community and care for one another. And so I ask, how about you? One of the earliest descriptions of a church service, which we possess from the governor of a Roman province called Bithynia. This is modern-day Turkey today. The governor of the Roman province Bithynia, modern-day Turkey, his name was Pliny, P-L-I-N-Y, Pliny. Doesn't he sound like he would be a governor of a Roman province? Pliny. He sends this report of the activities of the Christians to Trahan, Uh, the Roman emperor, he's trying to get some advice. How do I handle these Christians, this somewhat of an uprising of people living in support of one another? So he's looking on advice on how to handle them based off the Roman law. And in his report, he documents about the Christian church that they, and I quote, they meet at dawn to gather together and sing the hymn of Christ our God. Now, for some of us, the 10 o'clock service is early enough. Meeting at dawn and coming in to sing and lift up Christ as king is a challenge. Friends, they were a church in community, weren't they? They supported one another, but it cost them. In fact, it cost them a lot. While it's unclear what the initial charges were, the governor decided that these Christians seem generally harmless 
But he also decided that if they did not recant their faith, that they would be executed. They continued to support one another. They continued to share one another's burdens. They continued to gather to worship God, and they were martyred for it. Let me ask you, if you were put on trial for your community, your care and community and support of this congregation and the people around you, would there be enough evidence to convict you of someone who lives out care and community uh, and support? Or would they go, ah, you know what, these people over here, yeah, definitely, there is, there is evidence in their life that they support one another, they live in, in community and care for one another. If there's a need, they're helping one another. If there's a prayer concern, they're lifting it up. If someone is sick, they're laying on hands and providing care for them. Would there be enough evidence in your life to be executed for the care and the community and the support of a body of believers? Think about that for a moment. Or would they go, ah, no, they haven't really taken this seriously. What we see here is these folks were martyred for their care and community for one another. How about you? You know, we have a lot of different places where you can connect in community at Union Chapel. And and we talk about this a lot. I talk about this regularly with people almost on a daily basis. Folks will come and they'll stop by the office and say, you know, I've been to this church for two or three years, but I really haven't gotten to know anyone. And we'll ask, well, have you ever gathered in a circle with anyone outside of the large group where we sit in rows and worship together? Oftentimes the response will be, no, I haven't, or I'd like to try that, but I don't know how. And listen, we love helping you to connect in community with one another. There's great ways where you can volunteer in a small group, you can, you can serve together, and you can truly get to know people in an authentic way. You know, that's challenging to do in this room, isn't it? It's tough. We're in rows, and there's a place for rows, but there's also a place for us to circle up, to have coffee with one another, to have a meal with one another, to open the Bible together, to just talk and just support. One of my favorite things to do is my men's breakfast group. We meet together and we support one another. A lot of times we just ask, how you doing? How can I pray for you? Some of you guys are here today, you're serving. And I love that group. If you don't have a place where you're connected in community, I want to help you do that. And we can do it. The church that gathers will be focused on two things. Community and care for one another is the first. And the second is connection to God, our source of power. Acts 4.33 says, With great power, the apostles were giving testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. So why do we gather? We gather to connect with God, to give him glory, to give him honor. He does not need this from us, but we, we worship our creator. You know, maybe you're relatively new to church as a whole. That's another great thing that I love about my job is the opportunity to walk alongside people who say, you know, I've never really done church. Awesome. That's great. Come on. So we have these conversations a lot. And, and one of the questions that I get, which maybe if you've been a Christian your whole life, you'll, you've never thought about this. Here's the question. Why do we stand up and sing to the screen? Friends, we're not singing to the screen. We don't stand in this place to sing to the screen. We, we look at the screen for the words. We stand to sing to God. As we gather here, we all are performers, every single one of us. Some of you, that's kind of scary. You know it. 
But we're all performers for an audience of one, God himself. We worship him. We don't sing to a wall and neither do we gather for a band to perform for us, though they do an amazing job of leading us. I'm so thankful for that. The purpose of the church is to give God worship and to plug in, to connect to the source of power that is God himself. You know, coming to church is, it's not an event. It's not an event where we come and, and, and we gather in this place and rah, 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 and we feel good about ourselves when we leave. It is actually the fulfillment of God's desire. I mean, read the book. The Old Testament, the New Testament, it outlines the purpose for this gathering right here. And the purpose is not about us. Now listen, we're gathered in a room right now. It's climate controlled. It's not raining on us right now, though it is outside. You're sitting in a soft, comfortable seat. Some of you are in the the dim lighting and I can see you're just kind of settling in for your nap here this morning. You've just walked past a coffee shop that had the aroma of fresh brewed coffee. There's people greeting you. It's hospitable. It's fun. You've gathered in this place and you're here and now you hear me say, it's not about you. Though all of these comforts exist, we we can't mistake our purpose for being here, which is to give God, our creator, honor, to proclaim he is worthy and to give him worship because he is our source of power. Don't be confused about that. In the Old Testament, they built a tabernacle because God wanted to meet with his people. So they built a place. That's what we're doing today. We've got a place. We're gathered together for God to meet with us together. Now, you know the rest of the story, the New Testament, that God can meet with us anywhere But there's something great and unique about gathering together as a body, as a community of people chasing after God and giving giving honor, giving glory, proclaiming the worthiness of our great God. It's not our desire. It's God's desire. It's made possible by the blood of Jesus Christ on the cross of Calvary. Unless we mix that up, we are just gathering as a social club And not the church of Jesus Christ. So don't be confused, my friends. The church is not primarily about us. Yes, there will be things that support us in our walk. Yes, there will be relationships that are established that create health and community in your relationship with one another and with God. But this is about him. We gather to, we gather for, and we gather around the name of Jesus Christ. That's why we're here. Our being here is about him. And sometimes this competes with our expectations, our needs, our desires. But Jesus is the head. He is the chief. He holds the keys to the door if he even needed one. He owns and loves the church. Are you getting this? I think so. Acts 2.47 says, Praising God and having the goodwill of all the people, and the Lord added to their number every day those who are being saved. You might not realize this, but here at Union Chapel, we add to the number of people making a significant commitment to follow Jesus on a regular basis. We not only have people who check us out and join Union Chapel uh, for worship uh, every single Sunday. In fact, that number, which a lot of us might not know, there's a hundred people who check out Union Chapel every single month. 
and we're plugging them into small groups. We're plugging them into worship services, plugging them into services uh, where they can volunteer and give of their time. And lives are being changed. When we baptize people in two weeks from today, we will celebrate our 200th baptism this year. Could we celebrate that? Amazing. It's not about the numbers. It's about the stories. Every number has a name. Every name has a story. And every story matters to God. And if you're in this room and you would push back on that, you would say, no, my story or my name doesn't matter. My friend, you're wrong. You matter. You're significant here and in the kingdom of God. And so if you hear a voice telling you that, don't believe the lies of the devil. Listen to God. Matthew chapter 28, 19 and 20, Jesus says this. He says, go, go therefore and make disciples of all the nations. Do what? Baptizing them. Baptizing them in what? The name of the Father, the name of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Doing what at that point? Teaching them. Teaching them to observe all the things I have commanded you to do. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. You know, Jesus asked his disciples to to wait until the coming of the Holy Spirit. And then at that point, they should go. It was as if the starter pistol fired and the runners took off. You've got to wait for that moment. And friends, the Holy Spirit, when it was falling upon the the church in, in the book of Acts, it was like a starter pistol that said, go. And they went, and we should too. But I love what I see in Luke 24, 48. Behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry in the city. Tarry, not a word we use too often, T-A-R-R-Y. Tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you are endued with power upon on high. So they were to wait. They were to tarry. They were to gather, they were to wait in the city of Jerusalem until they received the power of the Holy Spirit upon them. Friends, as we connect with God, we receive the source of power. Plug into him, connect to him. You know, maybe you've just been coming to church. You've just been sitting here, but you haven't truly connected to God. You know, that sounds like it would take a a whole lot of hoops that you'd have to jump through, but it just requires openness of your heart because God is already willing. In fact, God sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die a miserable death on a cross. He was crucified, dead, and buried, and three days later, as the Easter story goes, and we believe it, he was raised from the dead. And God sent his son, Jesus, so we can have relationship with him, so we can plug in to God, our source of power, by knowing Jesus and having a relationship with him. In Acts 1.8, Jesus says, But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and ye shall be my witnesses. Now, I use that word for a reason, because in the King James, it denotes a plural. It's not one person. It's not you, as in one singular person. It, it, it's, a, it's a plural ye. Now, I'm from West Texas, and so we would say it this way. The phrase would be, and y'all will receive power. That's how it would go. I grew up hearing that. 
that's in my DNA, it's who I am, y'all are going to receive power. All y'all. Not some of y'all, all y'all. And it's right there. It's in Acts 1.8. And I believe it. So here's what I, what I glean from this. At this point, the folks had been learners. There's a great opportunity. There's a great, great time to be a learner. They had been learners, gathering wisdom, gathering understanding. And what God is saying here is they're about to become something different. They're about to move from learners to witnesses. They're about to move from gathering knowledge to an experience. Maybe you're here today and you need to move from knowledge to experience. You need to move from being a learner to witness. How many of you today would like to expand your circle of influence for the kingdom of God? How many of you would like to do that? Yeah, all of you. You know, one of the amazing things that we 100% attribute to God's power is that our influence as a church is continuously broadening. In fact, not a week goes by that I don't learn about a conversation of some area in our city where someone has been invited to Union Chapel by uh, someone who attends, who's attended and gotten plugged in. That happens regularly. Our influence is, is gaining and growing in our city. And it's not our influence, it's the kingdom of God. It's for Jesus' sake, right? But what I also love is that God is calling people to Union Chapel or to association with us because they, they want to go out and they want to they take the message of the gospel to other places. So they're coming here as a student with Bethel University, getting associates and bachelors, or they're coming here uh, and going through church planting training with Robin Wood and others on our team. And they're going out being planted all across the country and abroad. It's amazing. I just, I don't have words for it other than it's amazing. It's phenomenal. And we truly believe the best is yet to come in terms of training up leaders and sending them out all over the city, state, world, nation to reach people for Jesus. I just can't, I just can't imagine what God might do with us just saying, yes, Lord, yes, Lord. So will you join us in that, both for our influence in, in the state and beyond? Will you say yes as well? Will you partner with us in that? Just right there in your heart, will you say, yes, God, I'm in, I'm in. I wanna be a part of broadening the kingdom of God in places that don't know Jesus. So back to our friends in Acts, they're to start where they are and reach the world. And that movement from Acts chapter 2, Acts chapter 4, it continues on today. But the problem is, in this moment, they had not moved from Jerusalem. The apostles were comfortable staying right where they are, and God nudged them. He nudged them. Listen, you are not where you are because of your job. You are not in the place uh, where, where you live because of some professional decision that you made that transferred you here. No, you are here because God wants you to be here. You were not born in Muncie, Indiana or the surrounding communities uh, by mistake. You are here for a purpose. You are here for a calling. You are here for intentionality to live your life. If God transfers your business and you move somewhere else, a lot of times somewhere warmer, as you go, you are called, and God uses that. 
The word that comes to mind is the word inertia. Inertia. Let me talk about that for a moment. It's the idea of something that's standing still to stay standing still. Or something that's moving to continue moving or even gather speed. You know, it's very difficult to steer a a car that's not moving. But you get it moving a little bit, you can steer it. And a lot of times, that's what persecution does. That's what transfers do when we don't see them coming. My point is not that we should, we should seek persecution, no, but we should be aware of how often it is used. These moments of, of relocation or persecution that causes us to, to really dive into what God is wanting for us. I want to say something to somebody here today who, who, who is feeling persecuted or, or you just don't understand the situation right now. And I want to tell you this, what the devil meant as persecution to, to put water on the flames of God, God will pour gasoline on it in exchange. And if we'll just grab a hold of that, if we'll let that sink in, what feels like persecution from the devil himself is likely to stir the flame of God for you to be used. So lean into your relationship with him. Get closer to God. Get closer to those in community. Reach out to God, your source of power. I read about an interesting parallel of this in 1949 in China when the national government was defeated by the communists. There were 637 China Inland Mission missionaries Okay, so 637 missionaries who had to leave, forced out. They had to go. It seemed like a total disaster in China. Yet within four years, 286 of them have been redeployed to Southeast Asia, Japan, while the national Christians in China, even under severe persecution, began to multiply. So what seemed like persecution that was going to, going to uh, condemn or thwart the work of God and just snub it out in China, 637 missionaries uh, all left. They're redeployed in another area. And by 1990, the numbers were 30 or 40 times the number of Christians in China than when they left in 1949. Isn't that amazing? And, and China continues to follow God, and there are people who are rising up to follow Jesus in a powerful way in that country. And so you should pray for them, because we don't know persecution very well, do we? We don't know it. We don't understand it. But it began with persecution, and there were people connected to God. Let me tell you, God can change your story. God can rewrite the story right in front of you. This looked like a bad news story for all the missionaries who were pulled out of that area in 1949, but God used it for good. Maybe you need to reach out to God today because your situation right now, it doesn't look good. Reach out to him, cling to him, grab a hold of the hand of Jesus Christ. He'll meet you right where you are. Well, the gathering of the church matters, but taking part in the gathering of the church really is only half of the job. We gather so we can what? So we can scatter. In Acts chapter 8, I want to look at these five verses. We'll put them up on the screen for you. It starts and it says, and Saul agreed completely with killing him. Oh, that escalated quickly. Not even like, you know, maybe we should. It's, 
It's Saul. And he says, I agree completely with killing him. Let's do it. Now, on that day, I would imagine in that moment, there was something called persecution. And it began against the church in Jerusalem. And all except the apostles were forced to scatter throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria. Some devout men, they buried Stephen. Like, buried him. Get that. They made loud lamentation over him. And Saul was trying to destroy the church. Entering one house after another, he dragged off both men and women, and he put them in prison. Now, those who had been forced to scatter went around doing what? Proclaiming. Proclaiming the good news. Proclaiming the word of God. Verse 5, Philip went down to the main city of Samaria and began proclaiming the Christ to them. So Philip says, I'm going to preach. Might as well, right? Going to be thrown in prison, going to be killed. I'm going to preach. Acts 11, 19 and 20, listen to these words. Now those who had been scattered because of the persecution that took place over Stephen went as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, speaking the message to no one but Jews. Now verse 20, but there were some men from Cyprus and Cyrene among them who came to Antioch and began to speak to the Greeks too, proclaiming the good news of the Lord. I want to give you one thought with the scattering of the church from the book of Acts, and it applies to us in a direct way, and here it is. They chose to evangelize instead of agonize. They chose to evangelize instead of agonize. You see, those who were scattered had to decide whether they would simply be refugees or whether they would be missionaries. The life of a refugee is constantly thinking about where they came from and how they can get back to that area. They're afraid to go back. They're afraid to go forward. They're afraid of the past, afraid of the future. The life of a refugee is fueled by fear. But the life of a missionary is fueled by joy. And they look at their life as opportunities to share Christ with others. Remember Acts 8.1? They were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria. There's two different Greek words for this here, for the word scattered. Now, I don't want to dive too deep here, but I think this is significant. The first is, is dispersed. And that's not what's used here. The word dispersed is like you take some ashes, you disperse them out in the ocean, the wave crashes over them, and, and they're gone. But that's not the word used here. The word used here, scattered, is, is disespero, which is an agricultural term. So follow me here. We translate this into an agricultural term, which means to plant. To plant. So they were dispersed out from that area, and they were planted in a variety of places. They were scattered, and they went everywhere to preach the word. So what the scattering of these people did is it planted seeds for God wherever they landed. And that's what the scattering is about. It's about when you leave this place, when you go to the grocery store, or tomorrow when you go to work or you, you meet a business associate, you're being scattered out of this place. Sometimes being scattered just means driving down McGallard and going in a store. Sometimes it means uprooting, moving, being gone. But when you're scattered out of this place, God will use you. Don't believe for a second that you have to go to another city for God to use you. He will use you right here. Now, if you're called to another city, another state, another place, great, we can help you do that. 
But we are to be scattered right here. So who do you know that needs to know Jesus? Because here's the thing. We are called to, to gather in these seats, but take Jesus to the streets, to take him to our schools, to take him to our workplaces, to the grocery store, to the gas station, to the people who we know that need to know the Lord. We are called to be scattered, even if your address does not change. God calls us. And that's what these early Christians did. It may not be persecution that moves us. Maybe some kind of adversity in your life, maybe a change in your life. But I want to tell you this about living right here in Muncie, Indiana, and about what God calls you to do, where you may go with your life, different occupation, different state, different zip code. You can choose to be a refugee or you can choose to be a missionary. Having eyes wide open for how God will use you, plant you in that business, in that place. Remember, they chose to evangelize, not agonize. Evangelize, not agonize. We're told that it's the ordinary Christian. It's not the apostles who are going out. It's the ordinary Christian doing the proclaiming. Now, God uses all of us together, but I believe that if we're going to continue doing a, a great job reaching people in this area, it takes all of us inviting, encouraging, equipping You heard Pastor Glenn talk about the Christmas Eve invitation card. It's right there in your seat. Grab one if you want. Go ahead and look at it. You have an opportunity to invite someone to come to a gathering that might change their life. You know, every week we have people who stop by our Welcome Center who are regulars at Union Chapel who say, hey, can I get one of those cards that has all the details about the church? I've got somebody at work. I, I really want to give that to them, and I want to tell them about it, but I want to give it to them and, and say, hey, I'll pick you up. We'll have coffee early. And that's a great, great opportunity. You know, some, some of you in the room would say, there's no way, absolutely no way am I going to tell my friend about the Lord. It's just not my thing. It's not what I do. And listen, I want to encourage you to, to step into that uncomfortable place But I also want to remind you that there was a guy named Andrew in the Bible. And and what Andrew did is Andrew would go and he would would grab people. He would talk with them. He would build a rapport with them. And then he would take these people he met to his brother, Peter. Now, what did Peter do? Peter proclaimed Jesus to them. And so Andrew was what I call a bringer. Andrew would not only invite somebody to come and talk to his, his friend Peter, his brother Peter. He would bring them to Peter, and Peter would share about Jesus, and they would come to the faith. Andrew didn't have, uh, he didn't have the ability to talk about Jesus. Now, I think he did, but he would take people to Peter, and Peter would share. I attribute that in the same way of inviting or bringing someone to this, this space right here, bringing someone to Christmas Eve or to a service. We can help you share the faith and help them get connected. We've got to choose to evangelize instead of agonize. As I close, I want to just share this this thought here. We are are called to be both the church in community and the church on mission. God calls us to gather right here in this space, to to worship, to sing, to proclaim his goodness, to, to plug into the power of God, to connect to community. But God also sends us out as a mission to the world. We're called to be both a fellowship and a force. 
And I believe that if we'll grab a hold of those ideas, that God will use us in the same way that he used the church in the book of Acts. I want to say again that I'm so thankful for for this body of believers and the way that we gather around these ideas. We do believe that the best is yet to come as we live out the church of the book of Acts and the twofold mission of gathering and scattering. I want to invite you to think about these three things and what step God may call you to take today. Would you just bow with me right there where you are for a word of prayer? You can stay seated. God, you have been witness today to these words. You've been speaking these words to people's hearts today, even other words that were not in this message. I pray that you would give us all instruction about the areas of our life that need adjustment to take action on. Now, right now, friends, I want to invite you to decide which of these three thoughts you feel like God is calling you to take action on. We're going to put them on the screen for you right now as well. Do you need to contribute to community and care for others? Maybe you need to connect to God as your source of power. Or maybe for you, it's, it's choose to evangelize instead of agonize. I want to invite you one, two, or three to think about which one of those you need to take action on today. And I'm going to ask you to take one step further. I want to ask you to hold up a hand with a one, two, or three just around this room so I can pray for you as you make that commitment. On the count of three, hold up a one, two, or three for which one of those you feel God leading you. One, two, three. Three, hold your hands up. Awesome. People in every area, every category, amazing. Now, Lord, you have seen and heard this declaration that we desire action in our life around this message. Speak to us, guide us, give us the steps to take. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Stand up with me. Let's sing first a moment.